Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, we are going to have a Bible story. As you return to your seats, if you would like, that's totally okay. Uh, we're going to have a Bible story. As we're going through very uncomfortable parts of Scripture um, in the book of Acts. And, uh, and, and it's just, it's awesome to look at Acts through the lens of discomfort. Because frankly, a lot of church has been set up to be comfortable. And clearly our church isn't, because even if you're online, you can see the pews that we're on. So this church is not set up to be comfortable. Um, one day, one day, we'll get rid of the pews. Um, but God is definitely challenging us. He's challenging us to be people who are going to step into what God's calling us into. And I strongly believe that God is calling Promise Church to be a church that is different than other churches. And that might make us unattractive or uncomfortable. But it should make us obedient and in line with what the Lord Jesus Christ wants. And so that's, that's kind of where we're going. And so we're confronting some of the discomfort. So... Um, what we want to do is on Slack, I totally encourage people to engage right away. Uh, somebody started off the service with a little heresy, never hurt anyone. Well done. Um, okay. Um, and, uh, and so uh, somebody else said, let's replace the pews with the pews with recliners or at least with pillows. So you know what? If somebody has the, has the spiritual audacity to pray that our church could be filled with recliners... If our church is filled with recliners instead of pews, then I will look to you and say, wow, you have some major spiritual, like, power. So if you could do that, let's, let's see what happens. Anyways, we will see. So today we're going to talk about praying uh, and, and, and kind of how God is challenging our assumptions about him. God is challenging what we believe about him. So I'm just going to start off with a Slack question. It says, what is the strangest thing that's ever happened to you while praying? What's the strangest thing that's ever happened to you while praying? Because our text today has a strange story in it. Well, our text today is a strange story. So we're going to go through the story. And as we, we're going to pause a couple times in the story and, uh, and, and just evaluate what's going on and how this is so strange. Also, because I'm reading a story, I'm going to read out of the message translation. Um, the late Eugene Peterson uh, was a linguist and a theologian, and he created this translation. It's great for telling the story. It's not great for word studies, but it'll work for today's purposes. Um, so here we go. The, the text that we're reading from is Acts chapter 10, and we're going to be reading 1 to 36, but we're breaking it up. So let's, uh, let's get into the story, the word of God. Um, someone just answered already. The strangest thing that ever happened to me was I got an instant answer. Brilliant. Let's go into the story. There's a man named Cornelius who, who lived in Caesarea, the captain of the Italian guard stationed there. He was a thoroughly good man, 
He had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God. He was always helping people in need, and he had a habit of prayer. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. An angel of the Lord, as real as his next-door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared hard, wondering if he was seeing things. Then he said, what do you want, sir? The angel said, your prayers and your neighborly acts, that's interesting, street barbecues, um, your prayers and your neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. Cool verse. Here's what you are to do. Send the, man, the men to Joppa to get Simon, the one everybody calls Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is down by the sea. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two servants and one particularly devout soldier from the guard. He went over with them in great detail everything that had just happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as the three travelers were approaching town, Peter went out on the balcony to pray. It was about noon, and Peter was hungry, and he started to think about lunch. Well, it's 12.16 right now, so I hope you're thinking about lunch. While lunch was being prepared and he was upstairs praying, he fell into a trance. Okay, so Peter is committed to his spiritual formational practice of prayer. I wish, I wish that more of the church was committed to the spiritual formation practice of prayer. Peter was so committed to it that he is praying while he is hungry. He's praying while he's hungry. I, I think sometimes we, we pray when it's comfortable or we pray just when there's crisis happening, but he's praying while he's hungry. There's an there's a old spiritual practice of fasting, the, the praying when you're hungry. And, and what you do is you use hunger to remind you to pray. And, and because hunger's natural, it's coming. Prayer isn't necessarily natural. Use hunger to remind you to pray. Anyway, so Peter was hungry, and he was praying. I think a lot of times we passively expect God to change us, but we're not willing to give God the time to change us. I wonder if that's something that, that might, might be true for you in your life, in your disciplines. You know, how can, how can we say, oh, God never talks to me when we don't give the time to him, devoted to him, saying, I'm, I'm setting this time aside. Talk to me. How can you say God doesn't show up in my life like he does in Peter's life when we don't share the same disciplines that Peter had? Peter was hungry. He didn't go to the fridge. He went onto the roof and prayed. If you want God's kingdom to come, if you want God's promises fulfilled, devote yourself to prayer, even when you're hungry. So what's the strangest thing that ever happened to you while you were praying? Someone said, I think it's strange when God answers me directly. It isn't strange because God answers prayer, but I'm surprised every single time he does. And I think there's a level of humility in that comment where it's like, yeah, I, God is God. He doesn't have to answer me, but then he does. And that's awesome that God does answer me. 
Someone else says, um, I once had a conversation with someone at some point in the conversation. I said, why would they trust me with this big thing and not the little thing? Then I prayed for a few hours later, and God asked me to make a change that I really didn't want to make. And after wrestling with him for like half an hour, he said, why would you trust me with the big things in your life and not the little things? Well played, God. Well played. And it's true. God just, like, he'll take our conversations and our logic, and then he'll go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me apply that to my relationship with you. And he does it. So this is strange, what's about to happen to Peter. This is really strange. We, we know that he's on the balcony. We know he's hungry. We know he's praying. And, he's, and we know he fell into a trance. And then it says, he saw the skies open up. And something that looked like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners settled on the ground. Every kind of animal and reptile and bird you could think of was on it. And the voice came to Peter, and it said, Go, kill, eat. What? And, and Peter said, Oh, no, 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 Lord. I've never so much as tasted food that wasn't kosher. kosher. Notice that we've got birds and reptiles and, and every kind of animal that's there. So we're, we're, we're dealing with animals that aren't kosher. We're dealing with, with animals that were, were to make you unclean. And, and Peter's seeing that, and he's like, wait a second, no, no, no. I wouldn't even, even touch or taste food that wasn't kosher. And the voice came a second time. If God says it's okay, it's okay. If God says it's okay, it's okay. Of course. But wait a second. Didn't God say it wasn't okay? But, but what am I supposed to do with this? So, so this happened three times. Question for you. What marks you as a Christian? What is it that marks you as a Christian? A couple of strange experiences that just showed up on Slack. I spoke in tongues for the first time while, in deep, while deep in prayer. It wasn't a big altar call moment, but a moment where it's like prayer and all of a sudden speaking in tongues. That's awesome. And one more story. When, when we were about 24, Wendy, Wendy needed surgery and chemo related to cancer. And at age 35, we had become Christians and our kids were 15 and 14 and we were seeking to adopt five children. And I was praying through Psalm 113. I got the last verse. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. And it's like God just answering in specific ways. But what identity markers marks you in your life shows that you are a good Christian? What is it that's showing that you are a good Christian? Let's, let's hear that on, 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 on Slack. See, Peter was committed to what he had been taught. Peter was a good Jew. God's commands about food laws were clear. And following the food laws were a marker of identity. They're a marker that says, I know I'm a good Jew because I don't eat kosher food, or non-kosher food. I do eat kosher food. So I know I'm a good Jew because of that. These are identity markers. And holding on to these become formative. Like Peter's whole life, this is what you do. This is the practice that makes you a good Jew. For you, 
at church, if you've been at church for more than 10 years of your life, you have practices that make you a good Christian person. This is who you are. You go through these routines. You're sitting here in a church because that's part of what makes you a good Christian person. And so what are these markers? What have you seen as these markers? These, these things that we do that are spiritually formative, they shape who you are, right? They're, they're shaping you. They're changing you. They're challenging you. And in this vision, God challenges cultural assumptions that have snuck into a holy practice. God's challenging some of the cultural assumptions. And so sometimes a spiritual practice needs to be purified again because it gets skewed by time and religious practice. So the eating laws were about eating clean meats for the purpose of being pure in front of God. That's why they were there. They were there. God had called Israel to come out and be different, come out and be separate. You are a holy people. You're going to be different than the rest of the world. You are going to be pure in front of me, and I will live with you. And so, and so the eating laws existed for that purpose. But eating laws had become about racial superiority. I'm better than them. I don't eat the garbage food that they eat. I'm better than them. The vision had stopped being on purification in front of God and started to be a belittling of the others. I'm better than all those people. It became about racial superiority. We Jewish people are better at that time. And Jesus calling out a corrective to Peter in this vision. We're in a Pentecostal church. Pentecostals have earmarked themselves as good Pentecostals by speaking in tongues. That's the distinctive. That's the thing. That's apparently what the book of Acts is all about, speaking in tongues. Or not. And God calls out correctives. Initially, speaking in tongues was about being empowered by God in the presence of God to do the work of God. And eventually, it became a marker, nobody would ever say this on paper, but it became a marker of spiritual status. Oh, I could speak in tongues, look at me. <laughs> and it became this marker of like, I'm elevated above everybody else. You know, walk a little higher. But God says, no, 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 that's not what it was about. If I, I, I speak in tongues, it's not, it doesn't make me better. It connects me with what God wants to say. It's about me communicating and saying, God, I am submitting my tongue to you. I'm submitting everything to you, and I speak in tongues. And so there's, there's a corrective that's, that's happened, and that's just an aside. It's not really, um, not really a, uh, a thing here, but there's a corrective. So what identity markers in your life show that you're a good Christian? Um, Someone says, uh, someone says uh, it's easy for you, Rob Good, to be a good Christian. 
Fair enough. Um, praying before you take an action. Absolutely. That's something that, that becomes a, a, a marker of a good Christian. Um, I know I am a good Christian because I'm trying to follow Christ, and when I fail, I don't give up. I keep trying because I know that Christ is not done with me. Wow, brilliant. So good. What makes me a good Christian is the Holy Spirit evidencing himself in me and through me. He gives me a supernatural love and, com and compassion for others, a peace that surpasses understanding, joy, patience, and kindness. It feels hard to answer this question without bragging. Yeah, maybe. Absolutely, I get that. So someone writes, to listen to God and be obedient. This past week I was given the idea that I should buy someone's lunch while in line to buy my own. I didn't because I felt awkward about it. But it's been bothering me ever since that I missed the opportunity. Interesting. So, so what we see here, what we've got this going on, is we've got... Peter is being confronted by a vision that says, go kill and eat. Do something that is not part of what makes you a good Jew. Go against that and, and do something else. So this is the story going on. As Peter puzzled, sat there trying to figure out what all this meant, Men sent by Cornelius showed up at Simon's door, and they called in, asking if there was a Simon, also called Peter, there, staying. And Peter, who was completely lost in thought, didn't hear them. So the spirit whispered to him, three men are knocking at the door, looking for you. Get down there and go with them. Don't ask any questions. I sent them to get you. Look at this. God is doing something and Peter doesn't understand it. And so instead of not understanding it, he contemplates what these things meant. God uses mystery to teach because he wants us engaging as well. It's so ridiculous, but God consistently uses mystery to teach. Here's a trance that somebody's fallen into. They're seeing pigs and snakes and crocodiles and the Holy Spirit saying to them, go eat. And they're like, oh, uh, I'm not supposed to do that. And, and God's speaking in a mystery. He does that three times. And Peter's like, what are you trying to teach me? Contemplates about it. Think hard about it. Our text says Peter was so lost in thought that he didn't even hear the people calling for him. One of my favorite verses in Scripture says, um, in Proverbs 25, 2, it's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search it out. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. And he's called us into his holy priesthood, a royal kingdom, where he says, search me out. Search me out. Seek me. We need to seek out what God is saying in his communication. And we're formed by what we think. So we're formed by that thinking process. And we'll see what happens to Peter in a second. But Paul writes about that as well. He says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by what you're thinking, by testing that you may discern what the will of God is what is good and acceptable and perfect, it's 
It's in your mind that you think hard about these matters. It's not supposed to be just, here it is, guys. This is what it is. Here's all the answers, and we just, here's a, here's a manual for life, and you just figure it out and go ahead, and P.S., here's how to use Google properly. Right? It's not like that. It's meant to be a process in which we engage and think hard. So someone just asked, is listening to God's spirit that he gave us now more important than following the old basic rules? What rules do we have to follow and which ones do we not have to follow? Can this kind of vision or spiritual re realization that some rules are not good for us anymore happen now? Can the Holy Spirit come to us and reveal things like, like that now? This is very complex to navigate, which is why most people don't navigate it like this. These are great questions. So, so what, what is happening here is something that happens to many of us. It's something that happens to many of us. God is changing Peter's theology. God is changing and challenging Peter's theology. Oh, what do you mean? The first time someone told me that, that your theology as an as a individual, your theology is, is fluid, it's changing, I, I said, you know, a little heresy never hurt anybody. But, but in reality, in reality, there's an element here where God is changing the way that somebody thinks. Here's the deal. God will never contradict himself. Oh, but Rob, he said, don't eat here, but, but eat here. Isn't that a contradiction? No. God's mission has always been the same. What, what became a piece of identity marker and purity in front of God had been changed and corrupted into superiority over all other races, standing in the way of God's constant mission that never changed. God's mission was always to reach the entire world. It never changed. What had happened was the command, the interpretation of the command had changed, and now the, the interpretation of the command had become an obstacle to the mission. It was stopping the Christians from reaching beyond Jerusalem. So Peter went down and said to the men, I think I'm the man you're looking for. What's up? They said, Captain Cornelius, a God-fearing man, well-known for his fair play, ask any Jew in the part of the country, was commanded by a holy angel to get you and bring you to his house so he could hear what you had to say. So Peter invited them in and made them feel at home. The next morning he got up and he went with them and some of his friends from Joppa went along. A day later they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had his relatives and close friends waiting with him. The minute Peter came through the door, Cornelius was on his feet greeting him and then down on his face worshiping him. Peter pulled him up and said, none of that. I'm a man, and only a man, no different from you. Here we see it. Peter, his theology has changed in light of God's direction. The change that Peter would have accepted, the change isn't that Peter would have normally accepted Cornelius' worship. The change is actually in the next sentence. 
Previously, it would have been expected that Peter pulled Cornelius off the floor and saying, none of that, I'm, only a, I'm a man and only a man. The difference here is a massive shift in perspective. I'm no different than you. Wait, what? I'm no different than you? What's happened here? A Jew is saying to a Gentile, I'm no different than you. God has done something very, very uniquely here. We, what, what happened here is, is Peter, and I'll, I'll just explain it bluntly here, Peter was using food laws, just like every other Jew, to separate himself from the rest of the world. God says, that's not my mission, that's never been my mission. Eat Gentile food, eat what the Gentiles eat, and then follow that line of thinking. So then he goes into a Gentile's house and he says to that Gentile, I am no different than you. That is a marked difference in the approach between the Jews and the Gentiles. And we know that it's a struggle for Peter because by the time we get back to Galatians, if you want to hear about Galatians, I did six months of it a few, about a year ago. But we, when we get back to Galatians, Peter is, is second-guessing himself and he's pulling away from eating with Gentiles. And so, so he's, he's in tension. He's got this piece that's like, wait, I'm no different, but I've got this idea. I'm, how am I? This tension is happening to him. God is challenging Peter's theology. So, like Noah and Abraham trusted and obeyed something they didn't understand, that's what Peter is doing here. Absolutely, thank you for that on Slack. So, Peter's supposed to be different, but he isn't. Okay, so has God done something highly irregular in your life recently? I think this goes back to the, quest, to the series of questions that I, that I asked or that were asked here on Slack, you know, is the Holy Spirit going to change us like this now? Um, yes, but in consistency with the message and the mission that God has always been on. Yes, there are elements of church that have seeped in that did not exist in the first century, that did not exist in God's plan for the world, that actually become a stumbling block for the mission of God. So yes, there are things that, that Jesus will come in and challenge in us. So has God done something highly irregular in your life recently? Continue the story, and we'll finish with this. Talking things over, they went on into the house where Cornelius introduced Peter to everyone who had come. And Peter addressed them and said, you know, I'm sure, that it's highly irregular that this is highly irregular. Jews don't just do this to visit and relax with people of another race. But God just showed me that no race is better than any other. So the minute I was sent for, I came, no questions asked. But now, I'd like to know, why did you send for me? And so Peter starts off in prayer even when he's hungry. He thinks in his mind about what God is showing him. He's challenging it. He's pushing through it. He's contemplating it to the point that he doesn't hear other people. 
He accepts that God is changing him, and he follows along the journey. Has God done something highly irregular in your life? God is shaping you. He's shaping how you think about him. He's shaping how you follow him. He is shaping how you participate in his mission. He is shaping you. And we need to be aware of where God is shaping us. And we need to be in community. Let me just deal with the rogue. Let me just deal with the one that's like, well, God told me that you need to give me your $10 million that you don't have, but you owe me every dollar you have because God told me so. How do we deal with that? Well, we deal with that crazy abuse of the claim of God. We deal with that in community. We're together as a community. We seek God. We trust what he says. We acknowledge that God has us on a mission. And we act in unity together. It's not about an individual. Oh, this is what it is. It's God is doing something much bigger, and it shapes us I think, of, I think of my friend Ron, who over the past 10 years has seen elements of his theology shift and change so significantly. I have permission. He's seen the person of Jesus and his love for all people to such a degree that Ron's working with people that he never thought that he was going to work with. He's working with people that... that he, he did not expect to be. And, and Ron's grace is extended to people far beyond what he would have understood 20 years ago. As a pastor, it's, it's different now. And he looks at it and he's like, oh, the compassion of God, the grace of God to reach into these people's lives. It's different. God has shaped Ron and said, my grace is way bigger. My grace is way bigger. And, and God does this because he's reaching people. When you dedicate yourself, and I mean actually dedicate yourself to reading the Bible and to prayer, even when you're hungry, and you think about what you see, you think about the point of not hearing someone, you think about it to the point where you're not even hearing somebody call your name. When you devote yourself to the Word of God like that, God will change you. God will change you. Someone says, uh, God, is, God is doing something highly irregular. God's humbling me through extraordinary situations. Someone else wrote at, at the barbecue this weekend, uh, I met an incredible couple and immediately connected with them on a very deep level. We'd, we opened our hearts towards each other and, and came home so incredibly blessed. Yes, I was praying for wisdom, and God directed us in so many areas of our life today. God has done a 360 in all of them, and he's opened doors so gracefully. Sometimes we think that we've got all our theology cornered down perfectly. Here's what I believe. And sometimes God says, I want you to humbly approach that and approach me and let me do my work in you consistently. So let me pray for us as a congregation. Holy Spirit, we have no other hope but in Jesus. There are so many 
representations and interpretations of Jesus that exist in the world today and more so on the internet, in the digital world, that it's so easy to become confused and bogged down So God, I pray that as a people we would devote ourselves to the reading of Scripture and to prayer. That we would rely on you as the Holy Spirit to teach us your heart, to move us on your mission. And that we would let all other markers of superiority, that we would let them drop and that we would humbly approach you as Lord, even if it means an uncomfortable change. And so, Jesus, I pray that, that we would be a people who seek you and seek you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much for joining with us today. It is a little uncomfortable. But God is continually working in us. So God bless you. We'll see you soon.